<laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Collect and Spec podcast, the podcast all about the world of collectibles, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm one of your hosts, Zakiel, otherwise known as Rainy Day Collectibles Online. And with me, as always, is Chris, otherwise known as Wolf of Tin Street. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm getting full on board uh, the, the flesh and blood hype train right now. So uh, I'm having fun. Nice. Learning learning new TCGs is always an adventure. <laughs> How's your week been going? Good, good. Um, I am... Uh... I haven't done much. I've been digging into vintage Yu-Gi-Oh! Just I'm reliving. There's a specific old school Yu-Gi-Oh! format called GOAT format, which is a specific equivalent of like a Yu-Gi-Oh! block from to meta from 2005. And there's a uh, like, I guess, a, a website called Dueling Book where you can effectively play this format for free. It's like you're just literally playing like all of the original cards that are completely unplayable now uh i've been digging into it's kind of like old school but it's like old school Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> and it's what i believe is going to be the uh in like 10 years from now it's going to be the format that like the the Yu-Gi-Oh boomers i think <laughs> you know, go and get a beer and, and play so it's pretty fun how about yeah, you sounds good man <laughs> no i uh so I rediscovered after I got in trouble with eBay a couple of months back that I was I was quite cheeky and I just turned my scraper back on a few days later, uh, and everybody forgot until I looked at my my data set yesterday and saw that it was updating as of March fifth. Uh, so uh, I apparently have still been uh, aggregating Pokemon data from from eBay, and I'm kind of tempted now to to expand into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh and Flesh and Blood. Um, I really need to to set up Yu-Gi-Oh for TCG. I was looking at that yesterday, and I realized I haven't done that. And I feel I feel like I've done it a true disservice in the fact that I've got Flesh and Blood set up and not Yu-Gi-Oh on that site. So um, <laughs> I got to set that up. But yeah, no. So I was I was actually really excited to to kind of go back and start uh, <laughs> uh, using these queries that I saved like four months ago that all of a sudden have a pertinent data set again. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's sick. So what a uh... I guess a pleasant surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always nice. And uh, I'm I'm in a bit of an arms race with PSA. I really wish PSA would just allow. I would pay twenty dollars. I would pay more than that a month just to get the full, uh, even on a weekly basis, just the full roster of everything that's moving on PSA. Am I missing that somewhere? The full catalog, like. I can't because you have to go to this. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to go to it. And then if you want to track a card over time, there does not seem to exist a website or a service that's tracking that right now. I would gladly give them my money if they would just open it up. But yeah, uh, I have to continue my arms race with them banning my IP addresses. It's okay. I got, <laughs> I got, I got about 15 more, but. Oh my God. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll, we'll want this information. You. I want this information, man. I can't tell you how motivated I am. There you go. We'll stay tuned. Uh, speaking of being motivated as far as information, uh, let's start with our first topic. This, as every we do every week, Wolf's Weekly Insights. What uh, What do you got for us? That transition was almost as silky smooth as your voice, my man. Alrighty. So on TCG, we've got um, we've got singles moving over the past two weeks. And I called, I know I called this one out probably a month or two ago. So it's, it's kind of surprising to me, but the, the Charizard stamped out of the Battle Academy, the, uh, the board game continues to be the best selling card out of that set. Now I should have checked this beforehand, but I'm really curious to see, uh, it's pop report because it's got an average cost of $5 as a Charizard. So I'm really, I'd be really curious to, to kind of investigate why that might be, but over the past two weeks, that's like the, it averages out to be the sixth best seller in terms of just churn rate on TCG. Um, so that one is just, I mean, it's Charizard, right? It can't be, it can't be too special. But uh, the other two, uh, which we'll actually see corroborated uh, with eBay sales, actually, which I find to be really, really fascinating, uh, is Ninetales and Hitmonchan out of base set, the hollow rares. Uh, they are selling really, really well on on TCG. They're the th third and fourth ranking. Cramorant VMAX out of Shining Fates was the second best selling, but I, I don't know what that Pokemon is. I apologize. I've, I've named it. I've done my due diligence. <laughs> I think Cramorant is like a bird that can shoot fish at people or something like that. I opened one in, in the, the not Hobby Box. What is it called? The I don't even know. The ETB. There we go. ETB I had. 
I mean, that sounds cool. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of get it, but uh, no. So Ninetales and Hitmanchan uh, have been selling really well on TCG and they have like a market average sale, sale value of about $5, which I found kind of interesting because then when I hopped over to eBay sales, and of course I want to zoom in on um, the PSA 10s, those two are some of the best selling uh, PSA 10s since January of 2021. Um, the other one being uh, Zapdos. I'm not sure which uh, those fossil first edition, I think, or I might be crazy. Uh, but yeah, so those three are the only old cards that I could find still selling at volume uh, of, from older sets as PSA 10s. And a volume, I mean, like more than 20 copies have sold this year. Uh, since wow. January. So, I mean, we see, I see a ton, a ton of modern cards. Oddly enough, they all, they all have Charizard in their title or Pikachu. I don't know why. Um, but, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. The, you can already see. So, I mean, we were talking a few months back about like a retrace coming. The more I'm like digging into this data, I don't know if there's going to be a retrace for the old cards. There's just, they just don't exist, especially for the PSA nines and tens. Um, unless we get a huge influx, which I think we, we've discussed, you know, kind of uh, ad nauseum at this point, I don't think we're going to get a huge influx of cards into the market, which will just kind of destroy it. Um, so long as things stay steady, I think the modern stuff will see that retrace that we were expecting. The older stuff will, will probably continue the course, gaining maybe a couple percentage points going forward from here. So it's interesting. It's really interesting. That is cool. I was I was doing a lot of thinking this week about what would be the threats to cause that like, not necessarily the bubble to burst to see for what would the threats be or rather what are the possible threats that could happen uh, within the next couple of months. Part of it is I think student loans are still in forbearance until October. Mm -hmm. So uh, someone had left a comment I think on our on solemn. Uh, Solemn's interview, I think, highlighting a couple of these things as well. And I was uh, thinking through, I'm going to pull up who it was just to give them credit because I know they listen to the cast. <laughs> um, but it was it was a very honest thing where it's okay, like some point this year, a lot of the disposable income is going to get siphoned back into the the things that people owe money for, I guess. I don't know. The <laughs> uh, student loans, mortgage forbearance to some extent, um, rent Memorandums, I believe. Memorandums is the correct word. There's a couple of big expenses that I think are going to be there. Second, when when everything opens up, you're going to see the renewal of concerts. I just before recording this cast, I was uh, near a mall and I saw a movie theater in the parking lot. It was just completely empty, and I was like, that. And on a Sunday too, like a movie theater on a Sunday, even though Sundays aren't crazy popular, it's not. It's not Friday night or oh. Saturday. Sunday is still pretty popular day to go watch a movie, right? And you don't even go see movies. My my girlfriend does. Okay. But, uh, so <laughs> I, I will have to, the plan is I'm going to have to see quite a bit more movies. But anyway, the, the point is just like uh, all of these activities that we can't do, there's going to be an urge to do. Same thing with travel. It's the same thing with um, many other things. So Swami, Swam, yeah, Swami. Uh, commented on the uh, community spotlight with Solomon Yu-Gi-Oh. We appreciate your comment. Thank you so much for listening. Um, but no, those are like very honest questions. Like what percentage of the collector base, if you believe people, I don't know, let's say the collector base for Pokemon is everyone for 15 to 45. You know, what percentage of the collectors that have tangible impact on the secondary market of who are spending probably more than $500 a month um, have things like student loans and are possibly have, you know, mortgage forbearance. I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, I think it's going to definitely have a huge impact. And the, the, I think the largest place that will probably be felt will be like the viral impact in terms of people actually talking about this stuff. Um, cause you know, I, I know that even at work, even now I still talk about how like on the side, you know, I buy and sell trading card games. And even after I like, I like, I tell them a dollar amount, which might, you know, surprise them. They're just like, ah, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's interesting. That's nothing. But since like everything's happened, like, oh yeah, Pokemon, that's a thing, right? Like they, they know it, they're in the know. 
because there's there's nothing else to do. I know for a fact, I mean, you mentioned movie theaters. I'm going there every week as soon as that opens up. That's <laughs> that's me all day. And I've never been to a concert before, but comedy clubs, I will be going as much as possible. I'm the, I'm the guy in the audience you, you literally want there. If you're an ailing comedian, I'll laugh at anything. I'll carry the crowd for you. Don't worry. Yeah, me um, too. Me too. <laughs> so I'm, I definitely think it will have a huge impact. And then like my wife, her student debt's been on loan. And initially we were really good about continuing to pay it down since, you sure. know, the interest is down, but the last couple of months we haven't. Uh, so when that comes back, that's going to be a uh, renewed cogs on my, on my life. Yeah. And then uh, you go on to anything. So yeah, I do think the willingness to spend will go down. However, uh, the fact that we can plan around it is what would cause me to hesitate in terms of it having a really large tangible impact. Now I get a lot of people don't like to plan, but there's still that element. I think like if you're spending 500 plus a month, you're probably the kind of person who watches and plans your finances. If you're spending that on a hobby, mm, you think so? <laughs> I think the majority of people spending that consistently month to month, yes, do. I mean, if you have one splurge month with it, like a tax return or like, you know, one, two, maybe three times a year, you, you might spend that much. But if you're consistently spending that, that amount of, of dollars, I do think you, you, collectively at uh, on average are planning around where you where your money is going to be even from a very broad surface so i would hesitate to say its impact will be too too great i think it's 50/50 i think the biggest collectors uh do i also think a lot of this market is driven by impulse purchasing it's like, oh my God, a Charizard, let's go. Twelve hundred dollars. You know, like, I'm just yeah. gonna go, see this by now. And I think that's those impulse purchases, which are I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to overrepresent or underrepresent the influence that that has in the market, but I think it's a very real thing. Yeah. To your point though, I don't foresee a doomsday scenario at all. I think with any I mean, we're seeing the stock market is what down. Well, pardon me. Stock market isn't. I think the, the S and P and Dow are technically up, but many of the the top end tech heavy stocks took a pretty, I think, ten percent retracement this week. Um, which I, I mean, the normal variance at that point in small markets like collectibles is just another another sale, right? Whether you sell something for four hundred to or four forty or four seventy, probably materially the same amount of money, but. The other thing that I I did also notice from regaining the eBay data from a, an old saved query, which was fun, uh, was that the the sales for these graded cards, all graded cards, have really solidified so far this year. Granted, we're only two months in. To uh, two particular days, with a third kind of being a, a, a wash, but twenty two percent of all of these graded eBay sales for Pokemon occur on Sunday. Now, what ends on Sunday night? Oh, the PWCC. Exactly. So we've exactly. got a consistent driver of graded sales now, which I think is great. That's a stabilizing factor, but it also indicates stabilization. People are going to these auctions. This is where they are consistently going, and they're spending on this day. I think the next closest, so that's 22% on Sunday. The next day is Thursday at 18%. Um, which is weird to me. I don't know why Thursday is, is that kind of outlier. I would have to do more research. Um, probably has to do something with payday. You can probably buy it, put some, maybe. well, payday's Friday. I don't know. Uh, and then the everything else from there kind of gets evened out. Whereas last year, when you looked at these sales, it was much more classic e-commerce trends of it being Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, of those being the the primary days for those who are unfamiliar with e-commerce, those are generally your best days for revenue, um, believe it or not. Uh, so that kind of fell in line with a broader category. But now we're starting to see, I think, in my opinion, looking at the the degree of which Sunday has kind of taken over, it really is those PWCC auctions where people there's a there's a lot fewer uh, independent sellers, and it seems that if you are selling, you're probably going through uh, PWCC's hands more often than not now. So we're starting to see kind of a major player emerge in the marketplace. All of this to say, this is stabilizing. And this is a nice, like a cyclical structure. And if, you know, those costs come back onto you as an end user, okay, take a few weeks off. But I think the collective market itself will continue. Even if the overall dollars go down, this consistent trend underneath the water will 
will continue, I think. For sure, for sure. And and PWCC has been pretty popular for a while, um, but I think has really, within the last year, taken a, a much larger presence in like the greater TCG scene. If, if one grading itself is like just becoming more popular. Um, and as card prices become higher and higher, I think, right, there's a, there's a pretty legitimate answer. There's a pretty legitimate question of if an item is worth more than 5000 or $10,000, should you like actually sell it yourself? Like it's yeah. probably safer to just go through consignment. And yeah. what you see is there's, yeah, there's a good amount of low end stuff on PWCC, but the reason people are there is for the higher end stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a good point. It definitely will have an impact, but I people I feel like when when I hear and this is not to bash the questions at all, when I hear these questions, people uh are are kind of expecting the, these big sh- like shocking impacts. That's not really how it works. It when it does have an impact, and I think it will, it'll be subtle at first either way. And if it sure. does have a ripple down effect, you'll see it in like three to six months. And it's hard to to gauge because when when you know, this light switch is turned back on. It's like the domino falling. You're going to start to see other things going down and you will have time. Very rarely is it a, okay, all the lights in the house are back on at the same time. Now you walk room to room, turning on all the lights and there's kind of like the snowball going down the hill. So it's definitely worth like keeping an eye on for sure, but I don't think we'll see a drastic effect. Yeah. Final thing about that. I, I personally, I mean, rainy day collectibles as a business, I have a lot of inventory that is all intended to be sold, um, intending to be sold. And that is like uh, just under a thousand cards, I think, of varying different levels, some high end, most of it probably between the 500 to $1,200 level um, of fairly readily available stuff. I think probably one third modern, two thirds I don't, not necessarily a lot of it vintage, but a lot of it just kind of being like older, east like mid two thousands kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting because I know like when you think of the people, you know, the guys over at Graded Gem of uh, both in England and Z and G, there's a lot of stuff going through that is like just intended to be flipped, and I think we'll see modern impacts a lot more. You've already seen, I think. Hidden Fates Charizard. I sold Hidden Fates PSA 10 Zard at 1200 and I think you can get them for 800 So, like, it's a 50% retrace in three months, which is pretty bad. And there's, I only imagine that card's pop is probably filling out by the dozen. You know, every week it's probably getting a dozen, if not more, PSA 10s. Um, which, again, doesn't really say much, but once, as the modern pops grow, and it just goes to, like, It'll just be interesting, but the the where the rubber meets the road here is we're going to see a bigger separation of those two markets because the reason vintage is collectible and the reason that vintage is is hard to find is because when people were playing vintage or like when, when people were playing those games and collecting these cards, there was no plan to grade them. Right? There was they weren't seen as investments. So always a big thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of grading. Some news that popped up this week, and thanks for everyone on Twitter for reaching out. Uh, PSA decided to increase their prices finally. I heard this uh, as a rumor, I think a week or two ago at this point, and um, I'm pulling up the exact data here. The cheapest submission uh, previously value cards were about $10. And if you were submitting in bulk, you could, you know, depending on your membership, you could get it down to about eight. Um, right now value is starting at $20 a card with a 10 card minimum. Now note previous levels at the previous, uh, cards at the value submission had a maximum declared value, I believe of 199. And I think it got bumped up to 299. Now, uh, within six months ago, I got bumped from one ninety nine to two ninety nine. Now, at the twenty dollar level, your maximum declared value is four ninety nine, um, which is very important. Economy is suspended, regular is suspended, express is is suspended. Um, you can still submit them if you have your like gold membership, like I have whatever the like your member your twenty five annual submissions or whatever it is. Um, so right now, you can only submit value su- and super express. 
That's interesting because that to me speaks to them saying we're trying to empty this backlog or we are at capacity. So it's either you're getting, you're going to submit super express $300 a card today and you'll get it back in a week, or you're going to submit $20 each and we're just going to see you in a year. Getting rid of that mid range, I think is very telling and very interesting. Um, And what I think raising the price from $10 to $20 was really doing like a lot of the backlog from what my understanding is did not come from TCGs at all. It's coming from sports cards where people are opening up sports cards and they're just saying, all right, I'm going to grade every single rookie of this draft class and hope 10 years you know, down the line, if I just like just mathematically two out of 100 hit, I've made my money back. And a lot of that churn is it's just like, I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of sports card submissions of just hot garbage, <laughs> um, which is interesting. So. The $20 price point definitely eats into your margin on a lot of the common and, you know, relatively cheap stuff, common and uncommon level stuff. Um, and there is an honest question. One of the topics that is uh, up right now is like, does that then mean commons are underpriced? If you're talking about early age vintage cards, if a common, like if it costs me $20 to grade a card and the card is only worth whatever $5 is the, is, is, uh, sorry. What am I, where am I going? My math is off now. <laughs> it costs yeah. less to grade a common card prior. So now Correct. it's going to cost yes. $20 to send in a common or an uncommon. So in a way it's actually protecting the pop levels of these, of these hot garbage cards <laughs> that much. were sent in before, because now to, to add on to that, you have to take a substantially higher risk on sending them in. So it slows the backlog, but it also creates almost a bubble around early adopters who were able to send these cards in at a lower price point. Correct. Thank you. <laughs> no, it was the question when you when you said they raised their price, my first thing was was, oh, this protects the crap cards. So well, yeah, and it protects the crap cards and from for a service for them, it just means part of it's like that is the end result. The other thing is it's just like we are underpriced. Like our demand is so high, like there's no, this is too cheap. And it's very honest. Like I was sending everything bulk. I don't care. Dude, I was paying, if you do the math on like half of my submissions of all of the normal run of the mill hollows and promos, like $8, I think nine, I don't, $10, I don't know. I don't remember what my rate was. I think I, I submitted some through graded gem. Anyway, it didn't matter. It's like $10 is negligible. Who cares? But at 20 point or $20, obviously, uh, you have to just pre-grade a bit harder, I guess. I don't know. Point just being that this is interesting. This will affect PSA um, submissions specifically. I still am grading through them. I hate Beckett cases personally, and Beckett's system is still really flawed. I have a small submission at CGC, but CGC's turnaround time is getting equally as bad. Um, so yeah, this is interesting, man. I'm I'm very curious to see how this evolves i would love to see and i don't think there's a metric that we can actually see this by but i would oh man i would kill to see the the data on psa side to see because obviously you raise the cost of entry this is roller coaster tycoon for you guys you raise the cost of entry to enter the park more people are going to turn around and leave from from the start uh that's my way of relating to people of my generation if you're if you're not from the 90s you probably don't remember roller coaster tycoon anyways um but it'd be so curious to see what that rate is because I'm not sure that this is really going to be enough to disincentivize people from still sending it in and mass. So, I mean, no, you talked about not. these cards having yeah. this 50% retrace, but the margins are still insane. You yeah. lost, you lost 50% on 250% profit potential. Oh no. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and the other yeah. thing they did was they finally published a complete through date. So the value TCG complete through date is currently July 8th of 2020. So my earliest submission was in September, which means Uh, that two, I will now need to wait, assuming if they're doing one day at a time, which may even be uh, too fast in all honesty. At the earliest, we're talking three more months. I think realistically, maybe five to six more months. And even Express, 
uh, the current complete through date for Express is January 19th. Like that's insane. <laughs> like I paid, I said, I submitted a, a, a three card Express submission a couple of months ago and it's not even, it's still in the grading phase. Hmm. Yeah. It arrived February 10th. It's been a full month and is currently still in grading. So like, and that's at the hundred dollar level. They can't even get out of the hundred dollar level, right? I feel like you're, we're watching a business evolve in front of us, <laughs> and we are. It's just it's it's so fascinating to to see the first of all the the price points that they're choosing because I think CGC just had a price increase relatively recently as well. They did, and now uh, PSA is doing it. And if PSA is not beating the cost of what CGC is doing, they're doing they're doing business wrong. I think, in my opinion. So I'm I assume that that's that they. I don't want to say they waited for CGC to do it first because that's uh, Coswell. Uh, but I don't. I don't uh, think. I don't think PSA cares about CGC. No, I don't think so either. But I think that PSA carries a higher cachet with its name versus CGC. So Correct. whatever price point they've chosen, it needs to be higher than CGC. I got what you're saying. Correct. I agree. Uh, because if CGC is less, I'm not going to CGC uh, unless the turnaround time is faster. But so that dynamic is there, and then of course. Uh, in conjunction with Beckett. Um, so, I mean, we see mainly the two parties and the third one kind of jockeying for position in that they all realize that they're horrendously underpriced. And it, it's just fascinating to see how all three with their different backgrounds and history are are altering their own business model. And then it's going to be really fascinating to see. I love that they're doing that completely through time. I mean, that's information that I don't think they should be giving out, but I love that they do. I That's that's good. That that earns goodwill in my book. So that's that's going to be really fascinating to watch that, uh, because if they do do that complete through date, that means they will have to eject things as it came in. They won't be able to really limit because if they're going to say, uh, you know, that everything that was sent in, uh, right? If they're going to say everything that was for sent your, in for your theory of like them protecting the pops is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Because if they're going to say everything that was sent in through September 30th, we've now sent back out. Anybody who sent it in, who doesn't get it can make all the fuss they want because you've now just given them all the information they need to say you, you lied. Yeah. So that, I, wow. it, it's interesting. Because, so CGC has a turnaround time as well. I'll talk about this in one second, but I was thinking more about that. I think there's truth to it, but I also think that they're, the way that their pricing system is structured is that the cards that really need to be protected need to be shipped at a higher tier. Mm -hmm. So like the cards that you're really thinking about, like your first edition, we'll just say E-series Pokemon stuff, just for example, or we could say vintage Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever, even sports cards. And reminder, sports cards still is the bolt, like is actually the majority of this. As much as we're in TCGs, we're still... I would be surprised if TCGs make more than 15% of, of uh, PSA's business. But anything that's more than $1,000 needs to be shipped at a higher service level, or you're going to wait. I mean, you're, or you're going to get, you're going to wait nine months and still get um, penalized. So part of me thinks that this is what, like, is this just incompetence or is this actual, you know, brilliance or whatever it is, right? <laughs> I mean, I lo I love the transparency. I think that's yeah phenomenal. I just looked up Austin Matthews. It's just Toronto Superstars uh, rookie card. And I had no idea that that was an eighteen hundred dollar card. Um, the um, wow, <laughs> but yeah. So it's I don't know. I don't know. CGG CGC's value um, tier current turnaround time is eighty business days. So we'll say what basically, yeah, two or three months. Similarly, PSA's value turnaround time is July 8th. So that is eight months. Yeah. So you have to wait 2.25 times as long for PSA than you do CGC. And you probably receive, I would say, what a, 50% premium over CGC mm -hmm. in terms of the cards. Have you seen I, when I, from the limited sales data I've seen PSA holders, PSA slabs still command a premium. over. Yes, CGC. they definitely do. I don't know the percent, but they definitely do. Let's say 30%. So yeah. Interesting. 
have to wait two and a half times as long, but you get paid up to fifty percent more. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's worth it in a volatile market, but in a market that calms down, because I know uh, somebody in our in our uh, Discord truck stop gaming. He drives. He's a truck driver, but he he does a ton of Pokemon grading. He moved by and large almost entirely, as far as I could tell, to CGC just because he wanted the turnaround time, just to 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 move revenue, not just because with the profit margins you're dealing with in Pokemon. It, it didn't matter to him. He's just like, I just want it yeah. back and I just want to move it. I just want to move it. So, I mean, he was taking some cards that he was just cracking the slabs of others and sending it in the seat. Um, so, um, yeah, no, it's... I, PSA was clearly, apparently, so drastically uh, undervaluing its service. I would kill to see, too, their internal logistics of how that's changed. And how that will be changed going forward because yeah i mean they're raising the price on the outside but i have to believe that if you just put a blindfold on throw a dart at the wall especially since uh, they've been bought um there's got to be a ton of room for optimization on the inside so that would be fascinating yeah um matt turner was recently on a podcast talking about it i didn't get a chance to listen to it but um in the limited discussions i think of of what the board stated before they were taken private. Uh, the goal of going private was being able to, them essentially not having to worry about quarter to quarter revenue goals and being able to heavily invest in R&D for you know, robotics automation. In the same way that the stock is up like 400% on the year, if you say, hey, in the same way that like Amazon has essentially done business for the past 15 years. Hey, we're planning to just not take a profit ever and break even and subsidize R&D. We're going to cut our dividend and try to solve this problem for the next three years and then come back. I don't know in what world anyone is vetoing that plan as opposed to them going private, but whatever, you know, a lot of the institutional investors just didn't care. And that's where we are now. So it doesn't really matter, but long round about where, go ahead, sorry. No, there is definitely a psychological factor. I mean, I was, uh, I've spent a lot of time these past few weeks looking at companies like CarMax and Carvana. Um, and like their, their profit or their ratio of second quarter 2021 versus what it's going to be from 2020 is going to be massive and it's going to look so sexy. And you think there's going to, and it's for obvious reasons, but there is definitely a psychological impact from, from investors. I think when you see, when you see these things, even though it's, really dumb and obvious in my opinion um there is still that element to it and weaker weaker hands um or just not as comfortable investments you just want consistency like and to to inverse that i mean if you were to look at you know psa and you were to say okay q3 of this year do you think they're going to have anywhere near as much business as they did last year maybe they will with the price increase but in terms of volume absolutely not well, but they're not even. I don't. Is that even true though? Because they're not even accepting submissions. If they turned on the fa- if they turned the faucet back on, I think there's a case to be. Yeah, I think you certainly yeah, could. There is. But, but and then you but then you get into the the matter of you know you're turning off and on the hose and you're creating that backlog. What is your actual consistent demand? Yeah, and I and I don't know. <laughs> but I, to my but my point here is that there's a lot of what ifs in there that I think for a publicly held company. Uh, I think privately that might be better handled or more calmly handled. Um, so and you're and you're right and you're right. And I mean, where the rubber meets the road for that last talking point is like whatever the stock price was January first of 2020 to when it effectively went private last month or a month and a half ago was like a. 350 percent return right so it's just like there's no one who's gonna like it was just like hey basically they they agreed at 75 dollars a share some people were like no like over the past couple of months this is technically worth more and they closed at 92 you could have bought bought in i think at 22 dollars like in february or something so anyway okay we'll continue to monitor that i'm excited i'm going to be doing submission videos when my stuff gets back i'm super pumped um yeah Let's move on to NFTs. Oh, God. We briefly mentioned this. Uh, I, w- I was in a Clubhouse chat. Uh, for people who don't know, Clubhouse is, is one of the new social media um, platforms that's audio only. You, you go into these talking rooms and 
you can effectively you know you know, chat with anyone this it scales all the way up to big ceos steve ballmer and elon and zuckerberg and stuff were on a couple um clubhouse chat rooms over the past couple months to down to, all the way down to the pokemon level so some of the guests that we've had on the cast before pokenomics specifically is associated with one and they'll have kind of weekly q a sessions of 20 to 30 people jumping in asking hey you know what do you think of the market what do you think of this uh, it's a pretty interesting platform but i heard about nfts and we briefly discussed it a couple of weeks ago uh, of people saying hey like have you heard of this thing crypto is moving fast it's you get to own it's the right of ownership for a, a gif a moment a a piece of art and over the past week, we've started to see that bleed into popular culture, right? Like it's it's getting a lot of mainstream attention. People are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for NBA Top Shop moments. People are paying it for paintings. What is your interpretation of what's going on? I think it's absolutely awesome and amazing. And at the same time, I just don't get it at all. <laughs> If this is a clip that I can find by typing in, and I'm going to go to hockey because I'm still bitter about Toronto's loss last night. I watch hockey all the time. Um, but if I want to watch like an Austin Matthews replay or Mitch Marner, I'm just going to go to YouTube and I'm going to watch it. But I, if this if this is kind of the the modern digital way in which people want to kind of have trading cards, I dig it. I think it's cool. I, I, I do think it, it's it's a cool way to do it, but, but like the, the whole, I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around spending money on something that I can freely get. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> right. Like it, It's just very weird because you are essentially assigning value to are, are you assigning value to the crypto that this represents like the value of crypto that this represents or the actual object itself because all collectibles and all diamonds and alternative assets gold diamonds art sneakers all these things they're not actually worth anything right there's materials that are they may be a, a raw uh gem or material mm -hmm. they may have some like scrap value but it's not like a single trading card is, is technically worth any more than another single trading card. And that, you know, part of that, I think exclusive hunt comes in the form of saying, Hey, I have something that you can't have. So I get how it manifests in the crypto space. As far as NFTs, I have the ownership of this one moment that you don't have and I'm the best and I, and I get it, but, I feel like you're missing a lot of the upside, right? You don't, you don't get to touch it. You don't get to feel it. That's, I, you know, I feel like of every collector that I've met, they enjoy the, the actual collecting, the binders, the, the decks, the, you know, sitting with it on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, my, I don't want to say my counter to that, but I, I think like the, the follow through, I think just going forward is that what it's almost like, what is the collector of tomorrow? Cause like uh, generations younger than ourselves, everything is digital. Everything is moving digital. So, you, I mean, and it's weird for me to think that because the internet's like such a large part of uh, my life and I'm sure yours, but like that it largely still wasn't around when we were born and for the, probably the first half of our life, but those being yeah. born now and getting into it, everything is digital. So this is almost a way of like facelifting that collectible that collectability, that way of looking at things and inputting it into a digital environment, which is why like when I look at this, I don't get it, but it's cool because yeah. it's a cool new way of almost stepping into the future. And even if it were to fail on its face, I like that the attempt is made. And I like that it, I like even more that it's apparently being successful. And the other thing too, that I, I don't see here and I can't claim to know too much about NFTs, but if you if you allow like artists to do renditions to, to kind of alter it and, and really make it a unique item, that I get so many TCGs really capitalize on in, in special, even in sports cards too. I, as I've seen from just growing up, like the, the border, the artwork around it, that all plays into it. And if you can do that on a digital level, I totally get that because then you truly could have a one of the kind thing. If there's a really, you know, a really good artist, um, all the names that come to mind are, are irrelevant for this conversation. 
Um, but like, I could, I, I get the, I get the, the thirst for it almost. It's the implementation that seems foreign to me because I am, as you said, I like shuffling. I, I like holding it. I like after I've had, you know, like opening up a binder and just looking through and just being like, ah, this is so cool to have and, and being able to share that. But at the same time, I mean, if, if your way of sharing things is showing off, you know, like handing your laptop to somebody to show them your collection, uh, that's, I, I, I oh, it's just weird. There are two things. Um, Panini has been doing this with sports cars. They have a, you can go on their website and they type in Panini blockchain and they have the same cards you could own physically. You could also own on the blockchain and they do go for hundreds, if not a couple of thousand dollars for the specific parallels that are in demand. So it does exist. I really, to your point, I'd really do like it for art. I think this is a fantastic way for digital artists to say, Hey, you know, I've created this painting. One of the things that does bother me, one thing that bothers me within society is like, you have artists who the, some of the most talented people of our generations who are going to art school, taking on a lot of this, this, you know, student loans and, and crafting this skill over years and years. And it's very difficult for that industry to actually monetize their craft. So you have this huge disparity of people who are either just full-blown celebrities like Virgil Abloh, occasionally making something good, but otherwise making horrible stuff, getting overpaid, in my opinion. Yeah. Or you have people who are like hustling and grinding and doing everything they possibly can to like effectively make below minimum wage at some times. And I think, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what that uh, relationship exactly is, but I, I like that as far as the art side and of course, anything that applies to art, you know, can tangentially also apply to collectibles. What is interesting to me, I've also heard this, the conversation about um, the usage of electricity for blockchain technology. And that like the more things that are effectively minted, there's so much like computer computing power, I guess, environmentally. Um, that the more NFTs you create, the more impact that has. I'm not as well versed into like what that actually looks like or, or what the requirements are, but uh, effectively like the way blockchain works is it records every transaction in the ledger. And as these ledgers just keep getting longer and longer, you're using more and more energy. And now that blockchain is effectively being used for more things than just trading Bitcoin, Ethereum can now be used for I don't even fully understand Ethereum. I don't even know if everyone, I don't know if there's anyone who actually- The rule of the rule of thumb that I just go by as a heuristic is Bitcoin is gold, Ethereum is a dollar bill. And then I just move on from there. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, basically it's just that the more NFTs that are created, the more ways that crypto is, is actually used um, as a currency, it becomes less and less environmentally friendly. Again, I don't know exactly what that means. I also don't fully buy crypto as a method of, uh, I think people talk themselves into the idea of using it as a currency. I strictly just view it as a store of value. I don't think that the people who are buying Bitcoin are actually like looking to buy, you spend their Bitcoin at, you know, the grocery store, like the early adopters were. I just think people like it and they're like, Hey, there's only going to be 21 million coins. I want to get a piece of this before the coins are gone kind of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, it shows the, it shows the, uh, Small amount of trust it takes to get a large amount of investment. Yeah. If that scans. Yeah. And I think that might be, if not of equal value to, to the, to the thing itself. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. The, I think anything involving blockchain is going to require, require a lot of computational power, but I, I got knocked for this um, in my discord uh, a few months back. I thought it was funny, but I remembered it because it's true. Like I spend more computer processing power to forecast a card's worth a month in the future than was used to put men on the moon in 1969. <laughs> yeah. the they did something with like the TI-89 cal calculator, right? It's like more powerful than the computer they use. Yeah, but like the, the, the exponential growth of computing power over the last like half century. And I don't know, I, obviously you don't want to say that that's going to continue going forward, but it doesn't seem like the if that's our biggest complaint <laughs> yeah and i'm I'm not from i just i this is something I briefly read um yeah 
I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's legitimate or illegitimate, but. Yeah, it sounds like a legitimate concern because I think just fundamentally as more blockchain usage goes up, the energy required to, 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 to account for will go up. But I'm, I'm so fascinated in the fact that, and there, there are sites that track these, these transactions. So there is almost uh, very akin to what we see in, in TCGs, like a price history or a value history of these NFTs, which again, I really like, but that's, does a moment really gain value over time? I mean, and especially for, for something like, you know, like LeBron James dunking, like I think that one sold for like 215,000 or something. Will that retain value after he, like in 20 years after like that, that player's lifetime is over, will that retain oh, the same value? Sorry. Yeah. No, like that, I'm like, I'm, I will, I'm so fascinated by that. That to me seems like a huge risk. Well, if you had the option to buy a Michael Jordan rookie card today, would you? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> but I mean, the more the more important question there is at what cost? Sure, sure. And I would need to do more research. Okay, what what what's its? Because this is the kind of person I am. So y- your point is very valid. Like, yes, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to investigate further. Yeah. But you know what? What has it been historically? Has it beaten inflation? What is it? You know, what what happened after he retired? What happens if somebody breaks his records? Because I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's an iconic player in history. But there are so many what ifs around that that still do it if I know I can make money off of it. But I'm also not a sports fan. So sure. Or largely I like hockey, but nothing else. So I uh, to, find, to kind of wrap this up, I'm just I'm only worried there, there's two things about the crypto space that has always bothered me. I am comfortable admitting that or I, I believe that crypto does have value in the same way that gold has value and diamonds have value. Um, I do own a very small, and disclaimer, I do own a, a tiny bit of Bitcoin. It's not a couple grand. It's like not anything to write home about. Um, but one, there's a lot of room for fraud in markets like this there's a lot of room for manipulation and there's a lot of room for like this gray area of what am i really buying who owns it if i don't like i don't know the intricate as far as nba top shot goes i'm sure that like this is an official organized thing if i if you make a painting and then i take your painting and i sell it saying i made it and someone buys it assuming it's from you what happens right like i don't know like in a world where in in the physical world it's very obvious to say like hey this is illegitimate or not but like it is this any more or less real than what you made i don't know i don't know you're you're getting into the you're you're getting into the uh the jurassic park so focus on whether or not you could sure sure so now i have to watch that tonight Anywho, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll continue to monitor this. I'm always excited. I like to. I don't typically put my money in stuff like this, but I think it's important to just kind of keep your finger on the pulse and see what people are doing and what's going on. And having investigated scraping their website, they've got a very nice ship. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I yeah, I just totally agree with you. It's it's just fun to see this new stuff. I'm not going to put any money into this unless if this came to hockey, I'd probably sink a few thousand into it immediately. <laughs> just just immediately. A corner of the Canadians. <laughs> yeah. I uh, one micro topic I want to uh, talk about before we get out here. What do you think happens when Let's let's use Pokemon for example. Um, Caribou, I think I, I retweeted a video that came out this year that I thought was really good. That was just the player perspective of what happens when you know your collectible hobby becomes monetized. And you see this all the time. I experienced this in sneakers ten years ago. The pre-stock X era for sneakers is much different than the post-stock X era. What happens when the average price of collectibles or these kinds of things are completely out of reach of like the average American, right? If you say the average American household makes 55 K a year and they spend like 300 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, whatever it is 
on this kind of stuff. What happens? Does it matter? Does it not matter? Uh, can you, everything be high-end vintage? Like, can everything get, be Louis Vuitton? You got an interesting definition of a micro topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that community with its spending power and with its interest level will will call, not again this ties in nicely to, to earlier i think what i was saying not overnight will it just pick up and move but gradually you get phased out but you will as a community gets phased out of one thing it's going to turn that interest into something else i think just collectively whatever it is so there will be a new avenue to, to move into and i i think you need I think you need lower level support. I mean, you need the bottom of the pyramid to have the top part of the pyramid. And as it deteriorates from the bottom, it gets more and more precarious until the last person's holding the hot potato. So I, I don't think it's, it's happened by and large yet. I don't think we've seen that, that exact example of just the, that like the community is up and leaving. I think more often than not, it, I guess maybe you have, and then it tumbles down. I'm thinking of the baseball cards. Uh, Beanie Babies, I think, is an entirely different example, but baseball cards where it just got so expensive that it just became so apparent that it just wasn't sustainable, and it kind of fell down and then reestablished a new pyramid. So maybe that's what happens. It's, you know, people kind of pile on and add value, add value, add value, add value, until it's just completely out of reach. And then when it reaches that that crossing point, it just slips down and, you know, you Everybody who kind of piled on, who either won or lost, kind of moves on to the next thing they can pile on to. And then the hobby itself is left to kind of reestablish itself. How long is that cycle? Like, is there is there a world? And I think I think I would guess Pokemon. Go ahead. Yeah, I would I, I would guess just and again, I'm, I'm just pulling this just from pure instinct. I'd say 20 years, 25 years. With If that's the macro level, are there. I mean, are there, I, I mean, with any, any economy has like fluctuating, fluctuating boom and bust periods. But the thing that is crazy to me is like, imagine you could buy a first edition jungle box for $3,000 last year. And now they're like 30 grand. And the point being that like, I don't think there's very many people even like, who believe it's worth that much even the people who own them aren't willing to sell them for less not because they think it, just because it's like i i've i've i'm already up so high they're either they're either already gone or it's just this is just the scarce this is just a super scarce resource at what point does thing do things just become too scarce where it's like all right demand is supply is so small that it's like just fading into obscurity. <laughs> I think it's dependent on the memory of the broader community of when it wasn't scarce. So long as there's okay. somebody who can remember when it wasn't, like I could go to the counter and, and, and buy this box for like a hundred bucks. Like granted, I might've been like seven years old, you know, my folks took me and we got it. That memory still exists of it being readily available. And that, that comes with it, the understanding of, um, the, like you, again, this goes into the lifetime value is tied in with the consumer's life. Um, as soon as those memories are lost and it's just another item that then it's, it doesn't matter if it's scarce because nobody, then the value attached to it is gone. So, so long you, you have to have those kinds of memories attached to it. And I think the real challenge again is, is attaching those memories continually going forward. But I think that. I think that answers the question of it being too scarce because unless you're, and maybe that's a cop out. Cause if you're talking about like right now, at what point does it become too scarce? I would, I would strictly argue as mar as far as the market will bear is, is proof enough that I need. Hmm. Maybe that's too harsh, but th that, that is where I would probably stand. And no. the market is totally due to manipulation or it can be, but. I completely agree with you. I also just, the only thing that I worry about is a lot of, like, I don't think we're actually seeing the entire market. I, I, I agree with that in the macro, but I believe that there's just, so, because of these damn turnaround times, <laughs> and I'm not talking about like the gems, but like the bulk mm -hmm. of, of these kinds of cards. Uh, and specifically within here, it's like, if the demand is that people want a thousand copies of Charizard and there are only 200 of them on the market, at one time, but there are 4,000 of them in the backlog. What the hell happens? You know, so it, that's where I'm just like, what? 
I what? get you. <laughs> so I, but I, otherwise I completely agree. If this is, if you're just looking on TCG player or eBay for just like random singles. Yeah. Like, okay. It's either there or it's not. And people want it. And like, that's fine. But for like, once you start to get into like more and more niche communities, once you're seven layers deep and there are external factors that you cannot control and your intentions are strictly to sell, to add to supply, does that macro level supply demand equilibrium even make sense anymore? Which is what I think what we don't have an answer to, but like that's what's going to happen. Like whatever happens in six months to over the next year, on top of the macro level, like, who knows what the economy is going to look like, right? Like people want, if, if people's interest in collectibles wane, if the middle part of our hobby says like, Oh, you know, that was fun. I got in, I can sell my stuff. I can get a nice 50% profit. You know, mm -hmm. I enjoyed this for a year. I'm going to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Like that's at the same time, at the same time where supply is being pumped in from the other end too. Of, 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 from, of well from uh from grading because you, you mentioned Sorry, you know, yes yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that's where i'm just like i don't know man i don't like it, am i fireworks <laughs> we don't know we don't i don't know what's going to happen when these grades come back and i don't think to your point i think it's a it's a combination of all these things in six months from now the grades are going to come back people were probably going to want to go on vacation student loan student loans are going to start being active again mortgage forbearance is going to be gone rental memorandums are going to be gone like oh, i'm not yeah. at all saying we're in a doomsday scenario but like we're in this like i feel like we're in the eye of the tornado right now <laughs> i i will actually add on to that too i know over a half dozen people actually who've taken roles that right now will be remote but as soon as the pandemic ends they need to buy a car <laughs> and oh, once sure. they buy a car they're going to need to and then a lot of them i know as well have have gone back uh, in my age bracket have gone back to live home or are all banding to, to live together. And the moment they actually have to start going to work, that's probably not going to work anymore. So uh, huge, huge cost increases. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm here to give you a headache, man. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, any final thoughts this week? Thanks so much everyone for listening. Uh, we feel like half of our, half of our episodes are extremely organized the other half of our episodes are just us just we start strong we start strong <laughs> and then and then we hit a point where it's like topic and discussion it just goes it's we had an entire discussion about flesh and blood beforehand which took like 20 minutes or like we should have saved this <laughs> uh anything you're looking at this week it's stuff outside of the hobby uh books you're reading stuff you're watching anything uh oh oh yes oh god yes the new okay you don't watch movies but you, you should I'll, I'll watch it i will the new uh pixar movie raya i've heard uh, good things that and soul i think too oh god yes uh i actually just saw soul for the first time i was putting it off because i i didn't see anything about it and it, I, it, I just was like it's another cartoon movie wife made me watch it i've watched it like five times in a week great movie um but uh Riot just came out this Friday, and uh, I feel like I paid paid them thirty dollars for it, and I feel like uh, it was not only worth it, but it was worth the thirty that I paid for Mulan, which was not worth it. Um, it was it was so nice to see something that was new. It's a new Pixar. It's not Toy Story four. It's not like a Aladdin remake. It was an entirely new spin. It was sweet. It was awesome. It was funny. It was really well done. The animation's great. And uh, fun fact, Aquafina actually is the voice of the seven on the subway train. And I, I actually saw a little girl go, oh, that's Sisu. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Cool. That's cool. So yeah, that that was a, that was a highlight. We're probably going to have to watch that again here soon. But I got to do Jurassic Park now that I brought it up before. <laughs> cool. Cool, man. Uh, I'll, I'm going to check that out. I am working on a video. I'm on, I'm on my video grind. Solemn last week uh put the bug i guess lit the fire i don't know working on something i have i i, I do too many things at once i am not going to release my yugioh video. i want to do you know what have you ever seen economics explained that youtube channel yeah yeah, yeah. You, you gave it to me i remember i used to listen okay. to that on my jocks when it was warmer <laughs> yeah i want to try a video essay format like that and i'm going to try to put out in the next two weeks so we'll see it's going to be stock market versus collectibles 
the differences between intrinsic value and perceived value, I guess. I don't know does what the, the, go ahead. Does the stock market win? Uh, I no, actually, I think it's, it's, Ooh. it's, it's not like a, yeah, it's like a pro and con thing. This needs to be the teaser clip, by the way. <laughs> so we'll see. Anyway, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. And then, uh, I want to, I have your Tim Burton, um, thing on the board that I want to check out from a couple weeks ago, but yeah, that's it. Anyway. My name is Akil. You can I go by Rainy Day Collectibles online. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Wolf, people want to follow you or your content. Where can they do so? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Wolf of Tin Street. You can find me on Discord, also Wolf of Tin Street, and over at the band community on Patreon. We've got a Discord set up. We got several different tiers uh, focused on TCG collectibles. We we actually just opened up a, a Lego channel. Uh, apparently one of our, our larger guys is really into Legos, which is one that I am uh, just um, shamefully ignorant of, but uh, constantly learning and adding to that community. So feel free to head on over there if you want to find me. Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good week and we will see you next time. Cheers, guys.